All right. So as you stay there in Ephesians, imagine with me for just a moment an Olympic athlete who is preparing his or her body for their specific sport. Okay, imagine this with me. All the time and discipline that goes into it. They diet correctly. They sleep more than eight hours. They train their minds and they get their bodies in tip-top shape for competition. This all happens years before the actual games begin. As the days draw near, a certain part of their body that is crucial to competition begins to act up and there is concern surrounding what is taking place and even the best doctors and physical therapists are concerned and it seems like the athlete may have to sit out this time around. Just think, how disheartening it would be to that athlete and their family to think of all the time, money, resources spent on training for the games and now no competition that time around. Let me ask you, would, would it make sense for that athlete to maybe just cut that part of the body off? What would you say to them if you consulted them? Would you encourage them to nurse it back to health and maybe just sit out? So our reason for beginning in the book of Ephesians as we've just planted Redeemer is I believe God called me to plant a healthy, gospel-centered, biblically serious body of believers that exalts Christ in their everyday lives and is dependent on the Spirit and prayer. And the more we look specifically at the Ephesian church, even though this was a circular letter, we see a healthy not perfect, okay? We need, to get, we need to make distinctions between those. We see a healthy but not perfect church. A church that exalts Christ, is biblically serious, dependent on the Spirit, and loves each other well. Really quickly, look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse chapter, or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, chapter 2, starting in verse 2. He's speaking to the Ephesian church here. It says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus speaks very specifically to the Ephesian church here. The Ephesian church is not perfect. It's a healthy church. But here in Revelation, we see a glimpse of how it lost its first love. Jesus speaks specifically to her in love, yet firmly. So what's, main, what's the main idea for today's text? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It's that God's will for God's church has not changed. God's will for God's church has not changed. So here it is. Ephesians is six chapters, okay? So the first three chapters are, this is what we believe. This is what has been done for you in Christ Jesus. It gives us a firm foundation on where to stand. On this is who you are. This is who you have per been purchased to be. 
And then chapters 4 through 6 is now this is how you should live. So chapters 1 through 3 are this is who you are in Christ. This is who you've been purchased to be. Now live this particular way. Remember, we, we talked the very first Sunday about indicative and imperative. Indicative is this is what's been done. Imperative is this is now what you should do. Paul roots the church in Christ, then gives instruction on how to live. God says through Paul, this is who I created you to be. And my desire is for you to live this way. So remember at the beginning, I gave you an illustration of an Olympic athlete preparing their bodies for competition to give us a glimpse of a few things. And if you're a note taker, you're going to want to write this down, okay? A healthy body and a unified body give glory to its maker. I'll say that one more time. A healthy body and a unified body give glory to its maker. So as we make this turn from what we believe to now how do we live it out, we see Paul's words still saturated with the truth of the gospel. He's still, he's still anchoring us in who we are in Christ Jesus. So look at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, I therefore, and remember, I, I tell you, every time you see therefore, circle that. Because Paul is reminding us of something that was just said. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul reminds the church that he is a prisoner for the Lord or of the Lord. He's, he might be sitting in a Roman prison. But he's a prisoner of the Lord or for the Lord, for the glory of God. He is suffering due to what God has called him to, to unapologetically preach the gospel without shame or fear of what it may bring. Look what Paul says in Romans, Romans chapter one, verse 16 it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is unapologetic in his gospel proclamation. Paul does not care what it will bring him. Even if it brings him death, Paul will preach the gospel. And I'm going to tell I'm going to make this confession clear to you now. I I'm in on this. OK. I am in on this, that if the government came busting through that door, I would continue to preach the gospel. And if they took me to prison, I would continue to preach the gospel there and start a prison ministry there. And even if they took me to the gallows, I would continue to preach the gospel until my very last moment. Please know that about your pastor. So Paul uses here by saying, he uses this language here, saying urge, that it is imperative. Do this because you know this. Do these things because you know what has been done for you. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians chapter 4. 
with all, there's four things here. Humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. There's four things. Humility, gentleness, patience, love. These four things, along with a few others that Paul talks about in Galatians, are the mark of a true Christian. There's no such thing as a proud Christian. There's no such thing as a rough Christian. There's no such thing as an impatient Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not love. We are humble. We are gentle. We are patient with one another. And we love. And in those four things, he is, Paul is urging them to do things that connect them to the outflow of each one. In verse 1, he tells them to walk. This is a verb, okay? We are physically walking in humility. We are walking in gentleness. We are walking in patience. We are walking in love. Why? Because the Lord Jesus walks in all four of those. How do we know that? How do we know that he's walking in all four of those? Look at Philippians chapter 2. Having you turn to a lot of places because we are creatures of the word. We look to the word of God. Philippians chapter two, Paul says here in verse five. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus humbled himself. And now he has the name that is above every name. Jesus is the only one that can do something and get something. We do because we've already gotten. Does that make sense? Give me a yes or a no to let me know that you're awake. We do because we've already gotten. Jesus did so that he could give to us. How does he display gentleness? Look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Let me get there. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is gentle and lowly in heart. How does he display patience? Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Paul tells Timothy here, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his, what? Perfect patience. As an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal Life And how does he display love? One of the greatest verses in the Bible. All of them are great, obviously. But Romans chapter 5, verse 8. 
but God shows or he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for who? He died for us. That's how he displays his love. Paul then moves on into verse four, into, I'm sorry, verse three in Ephesians chapter four of what that looks like. We are eager to maintain unity of the spirit. We cannot be divided in the bond of peace. So let's stop and let's make a few observations, okay? Circle those two words, eager and maintain. So the, 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 the original language here in eager, uh, when Paul says eager, is this intense effort and labor involved in making a long trip or journey, okay? If you're a mom in this room, do you like packing for a long trip? You can be honest. Some of you are, eh, okay? My wife hates it, okay? She hates packing for long trips because we have, there's five of us and she has to pack all of us, okay? Including me, okay? I'm like, I don't know where these go, you know? So it's this intense effort and labor involved in making a long trip or journey. And guess what? We want you to make a long trip or journey with us. This is not about reaching the finish line in a few weeks. It's about reaching the finish line when we see Christ face to face. And we hear those words, well done. And then the word maintain. Is that not that we create unity, but continue walking in the unity that already exists in the finished work of Christ. We continue to walk in that unity. And remember, in the, in the, Paul says here in the bond of peace, peace with who? We go back to chapter 3 and what we talked about. That Christ made peace with humanity, with God, at the cross. Okay, let me tell you something. Let, let, me, let me look at me for just a minute. God has an intense hatred for sin. He has an intense hatred for sin and he will punish sin for eternity. One day judgment will fall. But those of us who are in Christ get passed over because of what Christ did in our place, that he lived the perfect life you and I could not live, that he died the death that you and I deserve to die, that he defeated death after three days and then ascended to the right hand of the Father where he prays for us day and night. That is the good news of the gospel, that he passes over his people now and we do not experience his wrath and his judgment because he poured it out on his own son on the execution of the cross. So God makes peace with humanity through Christ on the cross. And now that we have peace with God, we have peace with each other. A few years ago, and, and I'll leave the name of the, the college team out that plays in Norman, Oklahoma. But my wife and I, went, we got to go to a game. And we actually got end zone seats, which we just stumbled upon these tickets. And we got to go to a really big game and the, the stadium was packed out. Okay? And it was raining and it was just, it was just glorious. Okay? It felt like I was in heaven. 
And as we were sitting in that end zone, I, I, I promise you, I got teary-eyed, okay? Because as the team ran out on the field, and we were, we were shouting, Boomer, I'm, I'm sorry, we were shouting for, for the team that we were, you know, out there to, to cheer on. It just felt like there was unity in that stadium. That we were all there to celebrate and, and to watch this team play for a few minutes. There was one team that united us all in that stadium. We were all fans. And I looked around and I thought, man, how this illustration pales in comparison to what it will look like on that day when we stand in the throne room of God. And like mighty peals of thunder, His people will cry out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Honor and power and might to our God. What it will be like on that day to see every face, every culture, every ethnicity, young and old, it doesn't matter. We will see them in that throne room. And we will cry out, unified, under one banner, who is Christ the King. So look at verses 4 through 6 in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul breaks into a confessional, creed-like song of unity in verses 4 through 6. Let me turn there. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We see this oneness, this unity that the Father of all those in Christ who are all His because of the sealing of the Spirit. This is a triune work of God. That God the Father sends the Son and the Son accomplishes for the life of the believer. And then the Son goes and ascends to the right hand of the Father and the Father and the Son send the Spirit to apply what Jesus purchased. This is a triune work of, the, of God. So let me end with this. How will the world know we are the church? How will the world know we are the church? By our unity. Now look at me for just a minute. I know most of us in this room have experience with churches. And some of you in this room have experience with church hurt. And we don't want to look over that fact. Some churches hurt their own. And we don't claim seven weeks in to be a perfect church. But we strive to be a healthy church. And what does that mean? That we're going to be honest with one another. That we're going to love each other with an intense love that Christ gives us. That we're going to outdo each other in goodness and in mercy. We want to be marked by humility. By gentleness. By patience. And love. 
And we want the world to know that we are Redeemer because of our unity in Christ. You see the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is an unbreakable bond. Unified in the mission to bring glory to God and the Father, sending the Son to accomplish for His church by what the Spirit applies to the life of the believer. This is the will of God for the church. So how does this move us into worship? You may have heard this. Come as you are. I agree with that statement, but I I feel like there needs to be something added on to the end of that. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. How can we meet with the living God on a Sunday morning and not be changed? Isaiah, in in chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah sees the train of, of God's robe and he's changed forever. And his first words are, I am a sinner. I am not like God. Our goal is here that you would come and not come as you are, but not stay that way. And not be affected by the holiness and the the otherness of God. He is unlike us. He created us. We are made in His image. Let me say this. Obedience is an overflow of what we believe. Obedience is an overflow of what we believe. God is more about your holiness than He is your happiness. For us to be satisfied in God brings complete joy. So is there change after you leave the Sunday morning service? Is there a change in your life? Let me make a couple of pleas here and we'll end. A plea to the unbeliever. If you came in this place and you honestly don't know if you belong to Christ, let me tell you this. The invitation is open to you. The invitation is open to you. Turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Turn from your worship of other gods that will not satisfy. You will never find satisfaction apart from Christ. And a plea to those who are in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So that, I'm sorry, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Any good works that we do, in Christ Jesus, God prepared beforehand for you to do those good works. We can do nothing apart from Christ. Nothing. So, the gospel, here at Redeemer, the gospel is what drives 
the engine. That is why we are gospel-centered. That's why we plant our feet firmly on the good news of the gospel. Because without that, we don't know who we are. The gospel is not some trailer that we tack on on the back. We are serious about the gospel. Why? Because it's not only for the unbeliever to hear and believe on the Lord Jesus, but it's for the believer who has been a believer for 50 years. It is still good news. It is the engine that drives the car at Redeemer. That the triune God planned from eternity past for the Father to send the Son, the Son to live, die, rise, ascend, and for the Father and the Son to send the Spirit to apply. It is all done by God, from God, and for God. Look at me. It is all done by God, from God, and for God. It is all for the glory of God. Our last passage, and then we'll worship. Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Put on then, see how Paul uses his language, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, the, the reason that we end our service with worship is because we want to respond to God, to the Word that has just been proclaimed. As the band makes their way up, if you need prayer, if you need to talk, whatever it is, if you need some counsel, I'm going to be right there in the back of the room. No one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to call you out, anything like that. But I want to pray with you. And I, I want to know what's going on in your life. Come to the Lord Jesus. Believe in Him. Repent of your sin. And turn and look to Him. Let's pray.